part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, you can open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8. Again, uh, for the next many weeks, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And uh, it is, by many theologians, called the Mount Everest of, of the whole Bible, kind of this high place where we find all these wonderful truths about the redeemed life and what Christ has done for us. And so I pray that uh, week by week we will just go on this journey. And as we kind of set out again from base camp this morning, that we just began this trek together. And, uh, you know, the songs that we sing this morning, I, I want you to know that the, the songs are not just sung, you know, kind of flip through a book. And, you know, there's a lot of great songs out there, but we just don't kind of go through and just pick one or two because they may sound good together. That It really does tie into the scriptural truth. And the things that you just sang this morning, whether you realize or not, is right out of some of the texts that we would have this morning. You know, Paul would 100% say, yeah, in Christ alone, this is the only hope that I have in Christ alone. And all these different things that we talked about, saying and proclaim in those songs we're going to find in the text over the next couple weeks Romans 8 is one of these miraculous books it's just these wonderful books that has probably a lot more of the promises of God that you're probably familiar with you probably just didn't know that they were in Romans chapter 8 in fact have you ever heard about how um, all your past present and future sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus have you ever heard that before? And you might say, you know, I don't know that I could really find that in the Bible, but it's right there in Romans 8. Maybe not in those exact words, but we're going to find that concept. Or, you know, have you been reading before and somebody said, you know, we can have a personal relationship with God. In fact, so personal that we can call him Abba Father. Have you ever wondered where that is in the Bible? It's right there in Romans chapter 8. And as we read through, we find more and more of these promises about how nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, that if you're a Christian, nothing can separate you torment, tribulation, all those things that cannot separate from the love of God. Where is that found? Romans chapter 8. Time and time again, in this climb to this Mount Everest of the spiritual truth, we find all these great promises, and yet they are all banked in what we just sang. They're all banked in Christ, in Christ alone. They're not there just because we hope that they are. We're not, they're not there for all humanity. And we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. And so we, we began a journey today. Well, we really began last week as we looked at Romans 7 because that kind of set the stage of this great inspiring chapter. Now, let me be the first one to tell you, folks. The whole Word of God is inspired. It, it is equally inspired, uh, but it is not equally inspiring. Would you agree with that? Okay, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, don't throw me out as a heretic this morning. Go read First Chronicles 23 and then Psalms 23. Okay, First uh, Chronicle, Chronicles 23, you're going to read this. David is taking a census, and it's one of those places that go, so-and-so begat this one, so-and-so begat this person. And it's just this lineage. It's just this group of people. And you can read that. I mean, if you have insomnia, if you can't sleep at night and, and you just need something, man, that would be the perfect place. Go to First Chronicles 23, and pretty soon you're asleep. So all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is equally inspired by God. There's a purpose for it. God inspired every single part of it. But it's not equally inspiring to us. Some of it just resonates with us a little bit more. And Romans 8 is like that, that we open up, and and whether we're having a great week, a challenging week, we find these truths of God, and we begin to see, man, man, that just made my day. I can rest on that. And I don't, personally, I don't know that I've ever had that feeling before and that concept before when I was reading the begats. 
Or, you know, or, or somebody, you know, just this lineage of somebody. I don't know that I walked away going, you know, man, I am ready for anything today. Because now I know whose father is father, father, father of, of this person that I never knew the name to begin with. And so as we begin this, uh, we're going to look into God's word. This is highly inspiring, but there's three things we need to know as we start this journey. It's kind of like if we really were going to go on a Mount Everest thing, there's going to be things that the guide would tell you right from the beginning. Okay, stay together. He's going to say, but when we get to a a certain place and I tell you to turn on your oxygen, turn it on then, don't turn it on before, don't wait till after. There's going to be certain ground rules that if you're going to go to the real Mount Everest and try to scale that, that he said, okay, this is going to give you the uh, success for our climb and success for the journey. Well, for us to really capture all of Romans chapter 8, there's three things that I want you to know this morning that really kind of put it all into focus. Uh, The first one is that even though it is very, very highly inspirational, it's also kind of highly theological. There's going to be times that we're going to come upon a passage and you're going to go, man, if I was just at home reading that, I don't know that I would have come to that same conclusion because I would have maybe been lost. It can be kind of theological at times. And so we're going to try to go slow enough to where we really kind of break down some of those things that are a little bit harder to grasp. And because we don't want to to, to see, uh, you know, something that is not there at the same time, well, we want to see all the beauty that is there. And there's going to be times, I promise you, that the promises of Romans 8 will be counterintuitive to your own human nature and your own thought process. To think that we can go out and that we truly are totally forgiven of all sin is an amazing thing. And and yet, folks, we we really kind of struggle with that. The second thing that you need to know about Romans chapter 8 is that this is a book that is for Christians. This is not every promise that we find in here that uh, God has forgiven all your sins and you're just hidden in him. Uh, It's not for non-Christians. That doesn't mean that you can't trust and believe in Christ and now have this as a personal promise for your life. That's very much our intention over the next eight or nine weeks, that if you don't know Christ, that you can come and you can put your faith and trust, not in religion, not in laws, and not in morality, but that you would be able to say, no, Christ and Christ alone is our only hope. And he's the one that makes a difference. And it's in him that all of these promises are true. And so we're going to find that. That's the second thing. The third thing uh, that we need to do is that you have to realize that by the time we get to Romans chapter 8, We're already in a story that's already in progress. There's been seven chapters already happening. And in one way, we could say, okay, let's just start in Romans chapter 1 and preach through Romans. But we would probably be preaching until Christ came back, wouldn't we? It's just one of those things that it's a very involved book. It would take us years and years to do something like it. It's a majestic book. And so what we're going to do is get to this good part. We're going to get to this part where we see a little bit of a change. But you have to realize kind of what you're coming into. For seven chapters, Paul has been talking about the dilemma of man. All men. Remember Romans 3.23? Maybe you've realized uh, or memorized that when you were growing up. For all have sinned. What's the rest of it? And fall short of the glory of God. In other words, none of us measure up to the righteous requirement to have fellowship with the Holy God. None of us are holy as he is holy. And so for seven chapters, that's what Paul's been doing. He's been doing a mixture of telling us the reality of our personal sin, and I think we would all readily agree. For 33 years of ministry, I've had a lot of people argue with me about different things that are in the Bible. I have never once in all 33 years ever had one person argue that they were sinless. 
when I come to that and it says, you know, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We have, none of us are perfect. I've never had one person argue that point. Now, what we do as a remedy for that, that's caused a lot of arguments. A lot of people have different opinions. Oh, man, you just got to try harder. Oh, you just have to, you know, be sincere. As long as you're sincere, God's going to work it all out. But we're going to see if that really is what we're told in this book of Romans. Because Paul gives us the dilemma of mankind. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that we have no peace with God outside of Christ. And yet, in the first seven chapters, he keeps on pointing to Christ. And now that we get to this kind of, you know, chapter 8, it's almost like where we would say in a modern day story, and they all lived happily ever after. It's not the end of the story, but Paul's coming to this place where he says, okay, because of this finished work of Christ, if you're in Christ, this is where your life really, really begins to see the change. And so we're reading a story in progress, and we're seeing a part of it that... uh, uh, that tells us the truth that we're hopeless without Christ, that we are, our only hope is in Christ, and, and this promise of life in Christ. In fact, uh, if you have your Bible this morning, and I do encourage you strongly to bring your Bible each week. I realize that we have oftentimes the text right up here, and, uh, but for you to bring your Bibles, especially as we go word by word, kind of phrase by phrase, verse by verse, so that you can follow along. But if you have your Bible in front of you this morning, you know how they certain, sometimes put a heading over certain sections? Does anybody have a heading over Romans chapter 8? Okay. Uh, just, okay. Q, what does yours say? Okay, the Holy Spirit gives life. Somebody else has something different from that. Okay. Okay, love it. Debbie, did you say? Life through the Spirit. Anybody else something? Zach, what do you got? Okay, deliverance from bondage, okay. Life in the Spirit. So we see that, okay, you know, and, and these, I don't believe that those are necessarily inspired by God in the sense that, okay, he wrote those in. You know, again, the Bible, when it was written, didn't have chapters, didn't have verses. We put those back there just so that I could say, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and that we could kind of go verse 1, verse 2. But what we see as this in these headings is it kind of gives us that, that preview of what we're about to explore. And many of you said that in your Bible, it says, okay, life in the Spirit, life through the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit. That really is what we're going to be able to see. And that's why it's not, you know, all people, this is for the people that are Christians, because the Holy Spirit of God only lives in those that have trusted Jesus Christ. I don't see that, say that in a mean way. I don't see that in a, in a way that uh, would make us, some of us puff up more than others. I say that simply, I don't want to mislead anybody. That is, we would get into these promises that you would think, okay, just because you came to church, these promises are yours. They're not. But if you've put your whole faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, these are your promises. And this is the life you can have as the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in your life. It's interesting that Paul, when you look at the first seven chapters, Paul only mentions the Holy Spirit, which is pretty important. Only two times. In chapter 8, 20 times. That's why it's called life in the Spirit. Because he says, okay, now that we've kind of talked about sin and our dilemma, and we have no hope outside of the work of Christ, now let me tell you about the hope you have if you're in the life of Christ. And if you truly are living this life through him. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Let's just start there with verse 1. The whole focus of this, this morning 
is not what you can do, but what's already been done. Makes Christianity different from every other world religion. Every other world religion, you go anywhere in the world, and every other world religion always puts the emphasis on your ability to walk that line, whatever it is. Islam, these tenets. You do these, you're a good, good Islamic person. Uh, Hindu, this, that, the, you know, whatever it is, whatever world religion that we would pick out there, it's always going to be how well do you walk this line. Christianity is different. It's not focused on what you can do, but what's already been done. And that's one of those counterintuitive things, because I guarantee you that you're probably like me, that you grew up thinking, okay, to please God, I've got to walk this way. And certainly when we walk according to the things that he's commanded, folks, he is pleased. Just as a mother and father are pleased in their children when their children, you know, put up their toys, make their bed, and do the things that they're instructed to do. I'm not saying that there's not a pleasure that God has, and yet it will never get us right. And for seven chapters, that's what Paul has been laying the groundwork for, so that when we get to this place in chapter 8, he gets this place where he says, okay, therefore... And whenever you say that word, therefore, it's always going to be a connection between what was already said and established and what he's about to say, just as we would do at home. Honey, dun, 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 therefore, this is what we need to do. Because of these truths, here's the action, or here's where we go from these truths. And that's where we are in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Kind of just sums up everything that I just said. Okay, is this for all people? Is this a promise that there's no combination for all people? No, it's just for those who are in Christ Jesus. And again, we're going to get to the good news of this, that it's available to all, but, it, but it's just not one of those, that's, you know, if you haven't put your faith and trust there, this is not your promise yet. But for everybody in here that says, okay, man, I may not be the best Christian. I may not be you know, the, the best mom, dad, husband, wife, child. I, I may not be the best. But, you know, I have put all my hope and all my faith in that Christ died for me. And that he was the very son of God. And being the very son of God walked a perfect life, a life of perfection. And I've put all my trust and all my faith of being right with God in the fact that Christ in his substitutionary death made me right. If that is your belief, if that is your understanding, if that's where you've placed your hope this morning, then you're in Christ. I, I don't know if you walked the aisle. I don't know if you got baptized. But if that's where you truly have put all your hope, but, but there would be some people this morning that, that you're there in Christ and you haven't done those things. I, I would also gather this morning that there's some people that have gotten really wet and, and are not in Christ because it's, they didn't have that understanding. They were going, okay, I just want to be a better person. I want to change my life. I want to do you know, more of these moral things that are good. And so you know, one way that I do that, I, I saw other people get wet, so I'm going to get wet too. And unfortunately, just getting wet doesn't make you in Christ. It's all about where your mind and your heart have put your hope to be made right with a holy God. But I want you to know that this one verse right there, Romans 8, 1, folks, that one verse, that, that, that one promise, that one truth, in many ways, it blew Paul's mind. Intellectually speaking, I think the Apostle Paul would have been on the top of the charts collectively in, in this room. He was a very smart man. He was a very accomplished man. He was a very disciplined man. 
And for Paul to come to this place, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for him to come to this place and say, look, outside of Christ there is no hope, but in Christ there is now no condemnation. Folks, that was amazing for Paul because he was a worker bee. Have you ever seen, you know, the bees? There's worker bees. That was Paul up to this point. Man, when it came to works, he was a worker bee. He wasn't one of those that just sat back and watched everybody else work. He was one, if it said jump six feet, he said, can I do seven just so I make sure that I make it? And that was Paul's whole life prior to Christ. And now he's coming to a new understanding, and especially this understanding. Because remember, that was part of the frustration that he talked about in Romans chapter 7. If you weren't here last week, let's go back to one verse. If you have your Bibles open, just go back to Romans 7.15. And this is, I mean, this rings home with everybody that I've ever met. Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions. Amen? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. But Paul says, you know, as I look at all the, the laws and all the commands of God, he said, they're good. He said, the problem isn't with the commands of God. It's not like out of those ten commandments that some of those really shouldn't be on there. His complaint isn't with the commands of God. His complaint is, that is very frustrating because he said, you know, I blow it. On a weekly basis, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, I blow this. And so he said, it's frustrating. And this is even Paul as a Christian. And so he wasn't complaining about the law. In fact, if you wanted to go back to Romans 7, 7, just so that we have that, you know, I can show you about three or four different verses. But look what it says. What then shall we say? That is, the law is, is sin by no means. In, in other words, he said, is the problem with the law? No. Is law sin? Is the law itself bad? God is just expecting too much? By no means. He said, the problem doesn't lie in the commands that God has given us. The problem is we have, we have not the ability to, to be perfect in this. He began to understand more and more as he was looking at that scripture that what the law was given for. See, that's the reality that I hope that you would understand this day. That you and I are constantly going to battle our reliance on being good people. Just because you're a Christian does not mean this morning that we have broken this mindset. This next week, I challenge you, this next week, even if you know the theology, you know the truth of God and all that, if you're really good, I mean, you really do some really nice things and you help a lot of people out and you, you even pray a lot, you study your Bible, and somebody, you know, uh, I gave a guy the other day uh, a ride over to uh, you know, the Chevron station up here. I was going, man. I, I think God saw that. I think he's pretty impressed. What an easy trap for us to look at our works that we think are righteous and are good works and feel like, you know, God's just giving us that thumbs up today. See, the, the, the evil twin that comes in there is when we're not walking that line, when we really haven't messed up, when as husband and wife, man, we've blown it. We have been at each other's throat. The only thing that didn't happen is that the county police didn't have to come up. And, you know, we're, we're one call away from, from you know, really blowing it. And, and we get to that place going, okay, I, I don't think that God's really, really happy with me today. See, here's the problem with the law. We're going to look at three problems of the law. Again, did, did Paul say that the law, that is the commandments of God, did he say that they were bad? 
By no means. But, but there's three problems with the law. There's three problems with God's commands in, in one sense. Number one, they're confusing. How many original, do we, back when God gave uh, Moses the, I was going to say the number, the, the commandments, on some, how many were there? Ten. Are, are they just kind of crystal clear? I mean, in one way they are, but in another way, can they be somewhat confusing? They really were. For, for example, you know, there was this, uh, this, this one law that said, you know, keep the Sabbath day. Remember that one? Yeah. And in order for, you know, all the priests that I think really meant well, they said, oh, you know, we just want to make sure that you really are keeping the Sabbath day. So they took this one command from God. And in hundreds of years before we get to the New Testament, they wrote 39 additional interpretations of that law. Okay, you can only walk this far. You can only cook. You can only do this. You can only do that. You know, all these different things that we see that all of a sudden one commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And <laughs> Okay. <laughs> hey, confession is good for the soul, brother. You know. <laughs> well, I prayed this morning, may the spirit of evil not be against us this morning. And I just didn't pray, you know, hard enough, you know. <laughs> Radley, we, we needed to stay a little bit longer in prayer, didn't we, so we could pray against that. But, but, but let's see what happened. Okay, so they have this one command. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Is that a good command? Yeah, it's a great command. Okay, but then the, these priests, these pastors, and all these religious people said, well, we just want to make sure that you're doing it right. Because sometimes you may be a little bit confused of what that really means. So you can't cook, you can't walk, you can't do this. Well, they took those, that one law, they made 39 laws out of it. They took the Ten Commandments and they ended up with 613 extra commandments. But they didn't stop there. Underneath that one commandment that became 39, they had literally thousands of interpretations of it. It's confusing. Have you ever met somebody before that said, well, it's okay to do that, and somebody else said, oh, no, it is not. And you're going, do I take a vote? Do we take a consensus of the crowd? It's kind of like this. Can we show that next slide? In football, and this is, a, this is not from last night or from yesterday, okay? Not, not trying to discourage or encourage anybody here this morning in, in, in that um, in, in football, that, that white line is called what? Sidelines. And if you touch it, you are out of bounds. It's, it's a rule. It's a law. Play stops. They mark the ball right there. But there's sometimes that you get a play like this, and the guy comes ever so close. And on the field, they go, you know, one official goes, I, I think he was out. Then I was, I don't know. And so now we have this privilege. I think it's a privilege of technology where we can go back and say, okay, let's review this play. And so we get a little bit closer. And we look a little bit and we go, okay, you know, I'm looking at it and it kind of looks like he's inbounds, but, you know, I can't really see it from this other angle. Is he in or out? And so we zoom in a little bit more. And we go, okay, I don't know. I mean, can you tell if there's a part of his foot right there that's on the white line? I mean, it looks like he's inbounds, doesn't it? But we can't see from that other angle, so we really don't know coming in there, okay, is there just a sliver of that shoe that is actually, uh, you know, out of bounds? Because if, even if it's just a sliver, I mean, if it's just a little bit, is he out of bounds? 
Yeah. That's how the law is, Paul said. So we have this law, you don't step out of bounds, but there's a lot of people going, well, that's out of bounds. I think it's out of bounds. Well, I don't know. You went to see that movie? That, that movie's out of bounds. I didn't know that that movie was out of bounds. I'm sorry. And so you get it's confusing. And Paul says, you know, God gave, it, the law is good. These Ten Commandments are good. But he said, man, we've added so many other layers that we don't know if we're in bounds or out of bounds. So it's confusing. The other thing that we begin to see is that the law is convicting. Now, that can be a good thing, but there can be a bad thing about that. Uh, Romans 7, 7. Look what Paul said. Again, going back to Romans 7 because it sets up this truth. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. But, but that verse actually continues. And if you read the rest of it, here's what it says. Yet if, you had not been, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. How do you know if you're inbounds or out of bounds? There's a line there. It's green over here, and it's white over here. And he said, in one way, the, the law is good because it shows us what's pleasing to God and, and what's sin. It shows us the difference of what's right and what's wrong. And he says, but, but it's kind of convicting too. Because if we read even further in that verse, he said, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. Now why did Paul, out of the ten different commandments, why did Paul pick that one? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, there's ten commandments there. He could have picked any one of them. Why did he pick that one to make this illustration? Because that one commandment is the one that we can really internalize. And if I steal from you, that's an external sin, isn't it? It's one of those things that happens on the outside. But that one about coveting, really out of the ten, that's the one that is really much more just in my mind and my heart. Nobody else knows what's going on in my mind and my heart except for me. Paul said, I would have never even known that that was sin. I would have thought maybe that was just, that was okay until I read the law and then the law said, thou shalt not covet. And he said, then it brought conviction to me. Conviction is great when it's keeping you in bounds. But is there a downside to conviction? Yeah. Man, I'm worthless. Man, I stepped outside the line. Man, I bet those other people at church did not step out of bounds like I have. Folks, that's probably one of the greatest tragedies that I believe that the modern day church, that we don't have the compassion, we don't remember sometimes what it is to be lost. And so it's so easy for us to take all these laws and, and turn Christ into a, you know, this, this keeping the law among ourselves rather than the grace and salvation that he's offered us. See, at one time, that's where I was. I didn't know if I was in bounds or out of bounds. And, and then the more that God would show me that I was out of bounds, I would go, okay, where's my hope? I'm out of bounds. And the hope that we see in this passage, it, it, eventually we'll see, is that why, that's why Christ came. But the law itself, it's confusing, it's convicting, it's also condemning. It, it eventually just condemns us. It, it shows us that we truly were out of bounds. Can we show that one picture? I, I think we just, I skipped it. You know, oh, can you see it on there? Kind of cut off the bottom part of it. But, but, you know, on the replay, sometimes they go back, and even though it was a close call, it's clear that the guy stepped on the line. There we go. And it's clear that he's out of bounds. And that's what Paul said. It's, con- it's you know, confusing. It's convicting. Eventually, it's condemning. 
It shows us that there's no hope in ourselves. Can you imagine the sadness and the horror of facing God one day knowing that, that we've stepped out of bounds? See, Paul had put all this hope, all this hope in the commandment. And if I can just do the right things, if I just can become this better hope, uh, this better person, if I can just walk this line, maybe there's hope for my life. And do you know what his conclusion was in chapter 7? If you have your Bible, go back to verse 10. Look what it says. Here's what Paul said. I'm not making this up. This isn't my version. This is what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said. He said, the very commandment, that promised life, that is, when I thought I was doing good, I thought, man, I'm, I'm, God must be pleased. What did he say? Proved to be what? Death to me. Man, I just hoped that if I was a good person, I could make it. And God would smile and go, man, you're just, Bobby, my, you're incredible. But he said, all my hope of being able to walk this line, and I found out that I couldn't, it was actually the final stage. It was condemning to me. It gave no life at all. In fact, it, it took my life. All of that goes into this first verse. Let's read it again. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? What does that word condemnation mean? Well, we're probably more familiar with it than we think. You finish the phrase. If you do the crime, you got to do the time. Okay, well, how many of you believe that? It's okay to raise your hand and, and, and believe that. Is that a trick question? I don't know. No, it's a reality. You do the crime, you do the time. Even biblically speaking, it's the reality. You do the crime of sin, you do the time. Unless you have somebody who actually takes that sin from you and for you, as Christ did. But that's a reality of life. And, and, and so here he says, okay, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. You did the crime, but you're not going to have to do the time because we're going to actually take your crime and we're going to place it on the very Son of God who walked perfectly. Now, folks, that's the most amazing thing about the Bible, that I don't get what I deserve. When he says there is now, therefore, no condemnation, what he means is this penalty that is just, it's deserved. There's the ruler said, man, you, you did. You walked outside the line. I, I promise you, folks, I don't know how all of heaven's going to work. I don't know, you know, when we stand before God, you know, you hear the stories about today. I don't know how all that works. I, I just know this, that nobody will stand before God and argue. I, I promise you. They will not. It really wasn't all that bad. Freddie said I could. I promise you, when we stand before the holiness of of God, those words will not come from from our lips, guys. So, So Paul made this conclusion that the law has brought a condemning nature to us. That's sad. That's bad news. And he turns around and he says, but because of Christ... When you're in him, here's the good news, there is no condemnation. Folks, that is one of the most blessed realities of the Christian life. And I don't know that we really absorb it. I still, to this day, when I'm having a really good day, giving somebody a ride down to the Chevron, I'm thinking, God must be pretty happy with me today. 
Are those other days when I just blow it miserably? Sin, lust, greed, selfishness, pride, all enter my mind and my heart. I'm going, man, how could God even love me? I'm looking with my focus on me. Here Paul is trying to teach us, if we are in Christ, to put our eyes in the finished work of Christ. Again, it's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is where you're going to put your eyes on yourself and your own ability to walk and not get out of bounds or what Christ has already done for us. So look at verse 2. There's, he says, there is therefore now. What is this now part? Okay, there, there's a part of this now that, that we don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. We don't have to, to say, okay, you know, he, he's freed me. Because look what it says in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, how many of y'all believe that? I mean, that's one of those things that if it's in the Bible, it's always good. You know, I believe that. Yes, brother, preach on. You know, amen. I mean, if it's in the Bible, it's not just my words. That's a good place to say, man, I do believe that. But do we believe that in reality? Because what it's saying is, is that because the, you know, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What Christ has done has saved us and what the law could not do. That means you are totally forgiven. That's where we get this whole theology of our past, present, future sins, all now in Christ when we trust the work of Christ. Have you ever feared facing God's judgment? I mean, again, none of us really know what that day is going to entail, guys. None of us really know, oh my goodness, is it going to be a movie? I mean, if we live to be 98, is it a 98-year movie? I mean, I don't know. None of us really know what all of that looks like. But the Bible makes it very clear. One day we will stand before God. And a lot of people approach that in their lives with fear and trembling. Can can I share some of you? Again, it it may be kind of counterintuitive. If you are in Christ this morning, not if you got wet, not if you filled out a card, not if you go to church on a regular basis, but you have truly put all your hope in Christ Jesus, I don't know how it's going to happen, but but on that day, I'm not going to stand and judge before God in judgment of my sin because Christ has already taken that sin away. Folks, I can give you verse after verse after verse after verse of that proclamation. Well, Bobby, you think highly of yourself. No, I think highly of my Christ that took my sin from me. That's the hope of this spirit-filled life in Romans chapter 8. Is that I don't have to rely on myself. Now, that doesn't mean for lazy Christianity. What he's saying is, this is just good news. Look at verse 3, quickly, as we start to close. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that is, none of us were perfect enough to, to walk this straight line and do all these Ten Commandments. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Again, he's saying the law itself is not bad. These are not bad commandments that God gave us. He said, but they were never given with the intention of saving us. Do you realize that? What came first, the law or sin? I mean, the Ten Commandments, for example. Ten Commandments are sin. Sin. Adam and Eve, they were given a law, so to speak, don't eat from this tree. They they broke that. But the Ten Commandments... The, the law is we think about all these things to do. 
They came after sin. They were ne- it was never there to save us. The law, Paul says, was never there, never with the intention of saving you. In fact, really what it was there to do is just show you the opposite, that you couldn't save yourself and point you to Christ. Even in the Old Testament, all those laws given with the purpose not to save ourselves, but to show us, man, we need a Savior. And so what do we see after these Ten Commandments and all this law is given? We see people expecting God to send a Savior. And we have hundreds of years there that go in the Old Testament where they're looking for the Savior. Because why? Because they knew that the law could not save. That's what he says in Romans 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What's the rest of that verse? By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He never did sin. But he walked just like you. He had flesh just like you. Totally God, totally man. He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's an important part as we close. Some people mistakenly think that salvation comes because they think God kind of just looks away from sin. Never believe that. It's not scriptural. It's not biblical. It's not what happened. God doesn't get a soft side because we've gone to church a lot or we try to be good and he says, okay, man, that's Bob. I like Bob. So I'm just going to look over his sins. That's Radley. I'm I'm just going to look past that because he's a good guy. That's not what happens in salvation. Folks, every sin, every sin that I might have in my life has been placed on Christ. The Old Testament tells us that. We go back to Isaiah. He tells us that this Lamb of God would come and and that all the sins would be, our sins, be in him. And here's what it says in Isaiah. It says, and God, with pleasure, in some translations, crushed this Lamb. When I first read that, I was going, no, wait, wait, this Lamb is Christ. And it pleased God to crush this Lamb, his Son? And then I begin to understand How was that pleasing to God? Because he will deal with sin justly. Folks, I want you to know, God does not excuse sin. He does not water down sin. He does not ignore sin. Sin, my sin, still carries a penalty, but it has all been placed on Christ. Why? Because I've trusted his work and his finished work and that alone for my life. Don't think that you just get this get-out-of-jail-free card and that somehow these sins just kind of go... No, they've all been placed in Christ. So that when I stand before God one day at that judgment, and again, I don't know how that judgment's going to work, but I just know this, that it will be totally just when God looks at me or any other Christian and says, not guilty. He won't say, oh, you know, they weren't really bad sins. They weren't just, there's a little sins. No, he said... Totally just, not guilty. Why? Because they've been paid for by his son. A substitutionary death. Not just a death. We have to understand it was a substitutionary death. The righteous for the unrighteous. The the just for the unjust. The innocent for the guilty. The law... Keeper for the lawbreaker. That's what he's saying in verse 4. Let's conclude in this. He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's Paul's way of saying, hey, 
God didn't cheapen sin. He didn't just say, okay, I didn't really want you to go to that movie or do that one thing, but, you know, I guess it wasn't that big. No, he said, no, it justly, justly, that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, satisfied by what? By the work of God. Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Folks, this truth is the transforming truth of the Christian life. And I'll be honest, we have made it a thousand different things. We've made the Christian life a life of morality. And and we should be the most moral people on earth, don't get me wrong. But we've often taken the the life and and the gospel message and, and the hope of grace and the focus on Christ, and we've made Christian life, well, you know, good Christian folks don't do that. And you're right, good Christian folks should not break the law. But but that really wasn't the point that we see with the coming of Christ. We've made Christian life so many things. The Christian life is this, this open invitation that God has given to every person who has stepped out of bounds. And who is that? By Romans 3.23, every one of us, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And now God has extended to us this grace through his Son. The Bible calls them the elect, the chosen that God has now purposed in our lives in his sovereignty. And he said, you know, you you come and put your faith in your trust. As we have our song of reflection this morning, here's what I hope that you will see. Ricky's going to sing a song, and and, and here's the second part of the chorus. He says, Too long I have lived in the shadows of shame, believing that there was no way I could change. But the one who is making everything new doesn't see me the way that I do. I am not who I was. I'm being remade. I am new. I am chosen and holy, and I am dearly loved. I am new. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. That is the hope of Romans chapter 8. And it is the truth of Romans chapter 8, 1, when there is no more condemnation in us. Is it counterintuitive? Yeah, because this week I'm going to blow it. And I may even really blow it big. And on that day, I'm going to think that God is just waiting with some kind of, you know, ailment to give me. Ooh, the flu. <laughs> you know, a second nose. You know, that he's just waiting for us to, you know, make a mistake so that he can, okay, flat tire. Car horn go off during church. Whatever it is, and goes, okay, this is just God's remedy for our out-of-boundsness in life. There, there you go. Okay. See, I, I, I love that Craig just cooperates so much there. <laughs> Folks, it will be counterintuitive to the human mind, but it's the truth of God. And that's what brings us back. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, as we start this climb into the truth of, of all of this life in the spirit, this life, that has been redeemed and changed and new. Father, we will battle. Even those who could say, yes, today I've put all my faith and all my trust in Christ, in Christ alone. And, and yet, Father, we will battle with that, even this week, because there will be times that we step out of bounds. And, and Father, we will feel like somehow you're just going to get us. Father, will you help us to understand the redeemed life, the promise that is here, that there is therefore now no condemnation. A present tense a future application of that. But Father, my prayer also this morning is that there may be some here this morning, and Father, they know the sin of their life, and yet 
they've never really known the hope that they had in Christ Jesus. Their only hope was that maybe they would just get better and better and better. They would start making more right choices than bad choices. And, and their whole hope of some sta- someday standing before you is that maybe they can just be good enough by the time they die that they would be able to stand in front of you and that somehow you would say, come on in. Father, today, I pray that you have shown them through your spirit the hope that is in Christ and not in the hope of, of just being able to somehow keep the law because we've already broken it. So, Father, will you open minds? Will you open hearts? Will you call those that you have chosen? Father, will you encourage those that are already walking with you? That maybe this very week they, they've wondered if this ailment, if this uh, estrangement, that this you know, hardship in their life is because of sin in their life. And sometimes, Father, there is a cause and effect of sin. But, Father, will you let them see this morning that if they are in you, There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Christ has paid it all. And in him we are new. We love you and thank you as we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.